0: We failed to give some information to Ron prior to the services, but uh, the youth uh, group uh, needs to meet down front after services for just a few moments. If you have an opportunity to do that, come and uh, meet down front with us and let's talk about some things that are going to be going on, some things that we'd like to maybe uh, uh, organize or plan to do. So keep that in mind following the services tonight. If you would, open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. I want us to notice the first seven verses. In reality, we're going to, we're going to go through probably the whole chapter of Daniel chapter 3, but it's, it's 30 verses, and I couldn't shanghai someone to read them for me, and I don't really want to, so we're going to notice the first seven verses. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, and captains, the judges, the treasurers, the uh, counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then an herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, Saxbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, uh, sackbut, psaltery, In all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. Except for three young men. How often have you heard the names Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Countless vacation Bible schools have used those three young men as topics of instruction. You've heard them in sermons, uh, countless discussions, but in reality the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the account of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those three young men, along with Daniel and other Hebrews, were captured by Babylonian invaders and taken to serve the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. When they arrived in the foreign nation, the Babylonians tried their best to assimilate those, not just those young men, but all of the Hebrew captives into the Babylonian way of life, into their culture. They tried to change everything. But at that time, they were known by their Hebrew given names, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and they had great and deep religious meaning to those men. Of course, Daniel being one of them, let's notice what their names mean. Daniel means, God is my judge. But his name was changed to the Babylonian name, Belteshazzar. Of course, that means that Baal is my judge. Hananiah means God is gracious. But his name was changed to Shadrach. Shadrach means illuminated by the sun god. Mishael means who is like God. But his name was changed to Meshach, which means who is like Venus. Azariah means the Lord is my helper. But his name was changed to Abednego, which means the worshiper of Nego. Nego, or often known as Nebo, was a Babylonian god, one of many that was worshipped. In a further effort to assimilate these young men, these Hebrew captives, into the Babylonian culture, they tried to change their eating habits. They tried to force them to adopt the diet and the eating standards of the Babylonians. Of course, that would have caused them to eat things that were forbidden under the law of God. So, Daniel, being a believer in God, being a faithful young man, convinced the one who was in charge of the diet for the captives to allow them to eat a vegetarian diet. He asked him to give us ten days, and you judge whether or not we look healthy. And of course, after ten days, the Hebrews looked healthier than the other captives. Now, the Babylonians failed in their attempt to force the Hebrew captives to abandon the God of their fathers and to adopt the lifestyle of the gods of Babylon. Yet... When those men were brought before King Nebuchadnezzar, do you know what he found in them? He found in them wisdom, found in them intelligence. In fact, he found that they were ten times wiser than any of the wise men or the, uh, uh, the, the sorcerers in all of Babylon. We see that in Daniel 1, verse 20. As time passed... And as these men lived a godly lifestyle and they served the people under which they served, as if they were serving God. Not that they were worshipping idol gods, but when it came to their work, they worked as God would have us to work for any employer. And so over time they were elevated within the government of Babylon and they were put in prominent positions. And it all began with a dream. The king of Babylon had a dream. Neither he nor his wise men could could understand the dream. They could not interpret the dream. And because of that, Daniel was called before the king. And so Daniel told the king what the dream was, and he interpreted the dream for Nebuchadnezzar, and the king was pleased. In fact, the king honored the God of Daniel because Daniel glorified God and And because of all those things, he promoted Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah within the ranks of his government, Daniel 2, 48 through 49. Now that brings us to the text before us tonight. Even though Daniel's friends were in positions of some authority within the government and prominence, they found themselves facing a life and a death situation. They were put in a Position. They found themselves within circumstances that they had to make a choice. Do I stand on my faith? Do I stand for the God of heaven? Or do I deny the God of heaven and I fall down and I worship this image that King Nebuchadnezzar had created? Well, we know what happened. Those men chose to stand for God, they chose to refuse to bow down before this image, they would not deny their God. They would not worship an idol God. And because of that, they were in fact thrown into a fiery furnace. Well, in spite of the danger, in spite of the threats, in spite of the wrath of a pagan king, they kept their faith. And that's what I've entitled tonight's sermon. They kept their faith. We want to learn from these courageous men. We don't want to just simply recount the account. We can read that for ourselves. I want us to look at this perhaps maybe in even a little different way. Not that we've discovered anything new, but maybe we just haven't looked at it uh, from this aspect. We want to learn from these courageous men what it looks like when faithful people of God stand on their faith. When faithful people of God keep their faith, when they face the temptations and the trials of this life, what does that look like? How can I look at that and pattern that to my life? Well, let's begin tonight with understanding why these men were persecuted. That's our first point. Well, first they were persecuted because of their standards, right? They had high standards. They had placed a high bar before them and they expected something out of themselves, right? The golden image set up by King Nebuchadnezzar, the command attached to it to fall down and worship it, prevented Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, their true Hebrew names, from falling down before that god. They would not relent or give in to that idol worship. Now it appears that the king had this idol built. He had it set up in a a particular place, probably a common area. It comes on the heels of this great dream. It may have been, uh, he may have been encouraged to build it because of the dream that he had of the fearsome image and the terrible image. It may have been uh, an image of his favorite God, but most likely it was an image of himself. We're going to notice his attitude toward the God of heaven in a few moments. Either way, the standards by which they lived prevented these three men from bowing down before this idol. Their standards, the manner of life in which they lived, caused them to stand out to the crowd. Can you imagine? All of those people, all the captives, all the the languages, all those who, who were in Babylon brought to this particular area. Now it may have just been within the city of Babylon. It would have been very difficult for every person of the nation to have been crowded into that place, but we have a city of thousands and thousands upon thousands of people and they're all bowing down except for three young men. Now likely, the scenario is this. You have a company of people over here where Hananiah is. You have a company of people way to the to the other direction where Mishael is. You have another company of people where Azariah is. Now remember, these young men were put in prominent positions. And so they were in some type of a leadership role. So as the people with with whom they had some kind of an oversight, as they bowed down, those men stood firm. Now that's odd. That's going to grab your attention. All of these people bowing down. I remember on occasion when I was in Indonesia, one Sunday we were going to services and they shut the roads down and as far as the eye could see, I saw men in long white robes with the little caps on, Muslims bowed down, worshipping their God. And let me tell you, if someone had been standing up, he would have been very prominent. Everyone was bowed down. In this scenario, everyone but these three men. And so, they stood out. The manner of life they lived caused them to stand out, but that's what God wants. And that is exactly what God expects. He expects our lifestyles to stand out in contrast to those around us. Notice what Peter said. First Peter 2 verse 9, he said, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. I kind of prefer the King James rendering of peculiar that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Everyone who is saved is expected to have a different standard of living. If they don't, they're not saved. We have to be different from the world. We have to elevate our bar of standard, and we have to meet that. Paul demanded this, 2 Corinthians 6, beginning with verse 14, he said, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? In what communion has light with darkness? In what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, and God has said, I will dwell in them. And walk among them, I will be their God, they shall be My people. Therefore, and here it is, He said, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. And you shall be My sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. The faithful will be persecuted. The faithful is going to be persecuted because of the standards that they set for themselves, but they're also going to be persecuted when they make that stand to be faithful to God in the face of temptation and trial. These three men, they weren't going to bow down. King Nebuchadnezzar heard about it, so he gives them a second chance. What a wonderful man. He brings them, notice, he brings them to him Let's watch how Satan works here. He didn't take them back out in amongst all those people who saw them not bow down. He brought those young men to him. He gave them a second chance. Go ahead and bow down, but you can do it in private. No one has to know. That's how Satan works, isn't it? They weren't going to bow in public, and they certainly weren't going to bow down in private. He didn't understand who he was dealing with. He knew why they refused to bow down, and that's why he brought them to him. We notice that Daniel 3.15, when he brought them to him, he began to mock the God of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, gave them opportunity to bow down in private. He insinuated to them, and he implied that he was way more powerful than the God they served, that He was more powerful than anyone, and He demanded that they bow down and they give in to His will and not the will of the God who they served. But again, they weren't going to bow down in public and they certainly would not bow down in private. The believer of God will walk in total submission to the one He serves. And he will evermore stand firm on the Word of God. And we see that in these men. That's what faithfulness... Looks like. Even when threatened with horrible uh, repercussions, with threats of death or being burned alive, these men said, we're not going to do it. We will not bow down before this image. They took a stand for God in spite of the threats to their life, in spite of the personal cost. And they were persecuted. True believers will always square their shoulders and take a firm stand for Jesus. They'll carry that burden, and he expects nothing less than total commitment. Notice what he said Matthew 16, beginning with 24. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whosoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? That sounds exactly like what happened to those three Hebrews. If you want to live, and you're willing to forsake the God of heaven, you'll lose your life. They might have spared their lives physically, because the king had every intention of murdering them. And you remember what they said? Oh, king, we know that our God is powerful enough to save us if He chooses to do that. But whether He saves us or not, we will not bow down. Here's what must, we must come to understand. If we're going to live for Jesus, if we're going to be His alone, if we are going to refuse to let this world squeeze us into its mold, we're going to be persecuted in some way. If we're going to be godly, if we're going to live for Jesus, we are going to be persecuted in some way. Now, I want us to, to think of some of the furnaces, the fiery furnaces that we may face in this life. We're going to face the furnaces of criticism, the furnaces of intimidation. We'll face the furnaces of hatred, the furnaces of temptation, and the furnaces of trials. They're going to be there. It's not a furnace of fire, but it can lead to fire if we allow it. And they're going to become more numerous and hotter as our culture continues to change for the worse. As long as our society continues to ignore the guidelines and the standards that God has put forth, our furnaces, our fiery furnaces, are going to become more numerous. And that's just the way it is. We need to learn to accept that. We need to be able to count the cost and say, it doesn't matter to me. I'm still going to be faithful. And it likely will get worse. Do you remember what God asked Jeremiah? Notice Jeremiah 12 verse 5. He asked the prophet, If you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with the horses? He said, And if in the land of peace in which you trusted, they wearied you, then how will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? In other words, he said, Jeremiah, you think it is bad now, you just wait. You continue to be faithful, Jeremiah, and I'll show you just how bad it can be. But what did God still expect? He expected that great prophet to stand firm, even though he was persecuted. Do you know how Jeremiah was killed, how he lost his life? History, not biblical history, tells us that he was sawn asunder. Now what that means is he was split from top to bottom in half. Why? For his faith. But he endured. And now he is reaping his reward. We cannot become discouraged though at that thought. The thought that life is continually getting worse as far as the culture and the people. You know, Noah lived with that. He remained faithful. it's not as bad now as it was in the days of Noah, I don't believe. Why is it bad? Why does our culture not try to change its ways? Because it cannot understand and it is not willing to accept Christianity. Not because it's impossible to understand. Not because it's impossible to accept, but because they have no interest in accepting it. The people that were surrounding this idol that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, they had no interest in turning to the God of heaven. You know what they had interest in? Saving their own lives. Not these three men. Not I, not Mishael, and not Azariah. They could grasp the ideals of God. And they understood what their actions would lead to. Those are just some of the reasons that they were persecuted. But I want us to notice now how they were protected. This is our second point. They were protected by a present God. There's this idea in the world, deism, that there is a God in heaven. He created a world and then He just threw us out there and left us to our own devices. That He's not around, that He's not present, that He doesn't interact in the the kingdoms of men in any way. Well, he doesn't do it miraculously anymore, but he does do it through providence. But there's this idea of deism. Nothing could be further from the truth. We worship the same God, Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah worship, and he is a present God. Now these three men, they were thrown in a fiery furnace. But an amazing thing happened. They weren't burned alive. Instead, they were loosed from their bonds, and they were walking around in the flames. Not alone. Three men went into the furnace. But the king and those standing around them were amazed, and they saw four men. One, as it were, the Son of God. Now we're talking about the second person of the Godhead. The one referred to as Jehovah in the Old Testament. The one who always interacted with the creation. We see Him in the burning bush. We see him as the captain of the host of the armies of God when uh, Joshua met him. We see him speaking to those in the world during the Old Testament. We see him presenting himself as a a man, living as a man, John 1, 1 through 3 in the New Testament. We're talking about the Word of God, the one who became Jesus. They saw him, they were protected by present. God, a God who does interact in the lives of His creation. The very God they had testified about met them in the fires of persecution. Nebuchadnezzar and others, they were so astounded. But those of us who know God, it doesn't surprise us. Jesus said, I'll never leave you, I'll be with you till the end of the age, Matthew 28. Twenty, The writer of Hebrews quoted him saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews thirteen five. We serve a present God, a God who's with us. Not again, again, not in some miraculous way, but He is with us. He provides for us. And because of His presence, they were unharmed. I want us to notice something. I thought about this as I was doing this study. God allowed them to go through the fire, but He did not allow the fire to go through them. Why? Because of their faith. Because of their faith. He will provide for us a way of escape because we will be tested and tried. He'll allow that to happen. He's not going to stop Satan. Satan came into the world and and we allowed him to stay. Right? We see that in the garden. Paul said this, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God's people are protected by a present God, but I want us to notice He's a powerful God too. He can do all things. When those three men walked out of the furnace of fire, they walked out of there and they were inspected by the king. Not a hair was scorched. Not a bit of soot was found on their clothes. They didn't even smell like smoke. How in the world could that have happened? The God of heaven overcame the power of the fiery furnace completely. You know it's hard to walk in a convenience store without walking out smelling like cigarette smoke. That's difficult, isn't it? How was it that the God of heaven was able to save these men in the midst of a fiery furnace heated several times hotter than normal. The guard who took them bound to throw them in died because of the heat, yet they come out completely untouched because we serve a powerful God. But isn't that the way God operates in our lives? When He does something... He does it correctly. He does it perfectly. And He does it completely. When He heals, doesn't He heal completely? We see during the period of, of miracles, all the way up through the revelation, before the time of miracles ceased, when, when someone was healed, they were healed completely. Completely. When He saves someone, does He save them completely or not? Of course He does. When He forgives someone, does He forgive them completely? Absolutely. Whatever He does, He does it perfectly and He does it completely. And He saved these three men from the fires of the furnace. Now that doesn't mean that we can't mess up what He creates. That doesn't mean that once we obey the gospel, there's never any chance or opportunity for us to lose our salvation because it is ever-present. We have to remain steadfast and vigilant. Now He's going to allow us to be tempted. He'll allow us to make the wrong decision. Why? Because He wants us to love Him because we want to love Him. Not because He makes us. We want our children to love us because they want to. Not because we force them in some way. When we find ourselves looking into the fiery furnaces of life, we need to remember something. We need to look in there and we need to understand we serve an all-powerful God. We serve a God who is able to save us if we're willing to repent. And He can bring us through the furnace and out unscathed to His glory. Again, that doesn't mean bad things don't happen to good people. But He will take care of us in one sense or the other. It may be in this life, it may be in the next. Those young men kept their faith under severe persecution. They kept their faith because God protected them. And now I want us to learn finally, and I want us to see, that because of their great faith, God promoted them. They were promoted. God's people are going to be praised. We will be praised. A pagan king exalted the name of the true God of heaven because of what he saw God do for His people. What an amazing lesson for King Nebuchadnezzar now, I believe that King Nebuchadnezzar eventually began to think differently. Uh, perhaps he used what happened in the fiery furnace to soften the heart of a heathen king because as we read over into chapter 4, we read about the king having a second dream. And we, we learn about the results of that second dream and because of his pride and his arrogance and his stepping out and looking at this Babylon he said that I've created, He lost his mind, he was driven out into the wilderness, and he lived as an animal for a period of time. Having been restored after that period of time was over, he praised and honored the Most High God. God's people will be praised. That may not be in this life, but do you want to be praised in this life, or would you rather hear, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Matthew twenty five twenty one. We will be praised. Just like these young men were. God's people will be praised, but ultimately will be preferred. We will be preferred on that last day. Because of their faithfulness, the three Hebrews passed through the fire of the furnace unharmed. They were promoted within the kingdom. They were promoted physically speaking. But they received the real promotion when they left this life, didn't they? When they went on to their reward, and they joined those in paradise. You know, we read about a lot of faithful men and women in Hebrews chapter 11, often called the Hall of Fame of Faith. There must be some wonderful lessons tied into the account of such faithfulness. Sometimes before God can use us, we may have to pass through some furnace of affliction. Before we can stand tall on Mount Carmel, perhaps we have to sit beside a dry brook in humility. Before we can lead the nation of Israel, maybe we have to care for someone else's sheep in the wilderness. Maybe we have to go through some kind of affliction. The three Hebrews kept a firm grip on their faith. They kept their faith. And they kept their faith where it belonged too, didn't they? In the Lord. They placed it in the One who didn't guarantee their life physically, but guaranteed it spiritually. And they were willing to put that in jeopardy to gain life everlasting. That's where our faith belongs, isn't it? Our faith belongs in the Lord. They stood for the Lord under very trying circumstances and then the Lord stood for them. Do you think as they look back on it They wished that maybe they had just gone ahead and bowed down before that image and they wouldn't have had to go through the mental anguish and stress and the fear of that furnace. Not for a second. If we could go to, to paradise right now, we could talk to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They would encourage each of us, go into the furnace. Take your faith in God and endure the afflictions of whatever furnace you're facing because it is worth it. I believe we can see what faithfulness looks like when we read this account of such heroes of the faith. We need to be there with them. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to sit at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Hananiah, and Mishael, Azariah, sit at the table with Job and Abraham and Noah and his sons, To be able to talk to David and Solomon. To be able to look at at the apostles in their eyes and ask them, how did you do it under such trying circumstances? Aren't we glad we're all here together? Wouldn't that be amazing? And if we could do that right now, we could interview them from paradise. They would say, go into the furnace. It's worth it. And that's what we need to do. How do we do that in our time today well we obey the gospel we become Christians the plan of salvation of faith repentance confession immersion in water faithful living like these young men faithful living their dispensation was different they didn't have to do that our plan is that that's what we do in the Christian age sometimes we fall away we see uh, uh, examples of that throughout the New Testament Demas fell away Simon the sorcerer fell away. Simon repented. We don't read about Demas ever repenting. But they took advantage of the second law of pardon, those who fell away. Peter, we talked about Peter this morning. He repented of his sin of denying Christ. He confessed that. He asked God to forgive him and God did forgive him. And We'll see Peter one day. We'll see Peter one day, along with a lot of other people that we love who's gone on before us you've never obeyed the gospel, do that tonight. If you have and you've become unfaithful, that's just another fiery furnace that you have to walk through. Come back to God. He'll be standing on the other side. He'll wrap His arms around you. We will will also pray for you and with you. And God will love you for it. If you have need to answer this Lord's invitation, do that as we stand and as we sing.